in the UK, there's something called HMO, House of Multiple Occupation. And it's a bit like Friends on the telly, uh, a house share. So everyone has their own bedroom and they share the kitchen and the, um, the bathrooms. And these houses already exist. So we would just approach landlords who had them and say, we'll do everything for you and we'll pay you a guaranteed rent. And sometimes it would be more than they were, current, they were getting before because they weren't able to do it very well. Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. That is the voice of Stephanie Taylor, who is the author of Rent to Rent Success. This is an interesting podcast, definitely has two halves to it. So if you're looking for a real estate strategy that I have never heard of before, and now I'm I'm intrigued by it. I'm not sure if it would work here, but it's definitely intriguing where you basically sublet a lease on a rental property and then make money on it. And if that's your fancy, then go for the front half of the podcast. If you're looking to set intention, or maybe if you've hit a goal and aren't sure of what the next goal is, Stephanie does a lot of breakdown on books, podcasts, and research and coaches she's had that have unlocked the next goal of what what's important in life, the purpose, the journey, all that aligns with the Picture of Wealth podcast. And again, Stephanie is a you know top one and a half percent podcast host. Podcast is Rent to Rent Success. Uh, she's voted the most inspirational person of the year by Les Brown, featured on the BBC Entrepreneur, Business Insider, and The Telegraph. And she's coming to you from the UK. So thank you, Stephanie, for being on the show today. I'm excited to get into this topic of rent to rent success and your book and your story and the, and the story behind it. But thanks a lot for being on the show today. It's amazing to be here, Dustin. And I so get we- to see your forest. Ah, well, I'm sure that if you are, are you in the city? Is it where, where are you uh, coming to be? Yeah, I'm in the city. I'm in the city. Yeah. So I just uh, explained to Stephanie, for anyone listening, that I'm uh, actually off work this week, but jumped on this podcast because I wanted to get uh, connected with Stephanie at a time that both worked for us, but we're doing final landscaping on the property, which is, uh, it's a never ending, but we're trying to get it at least around the house done. And so I popped in, I'm here. Steph, bring me up to speed with uh, this whole story of like your, your your mission, you know, making people's lives better, which definitely aligns with ours. And you've got this story about renting to renting and what that actually means. And I think it's very fitting for the listeners because people like real estate and there's got to be a real estate story behind all this. Yeah, absolutely. So I was working in a nine to five in corporate six years ago, and I'd never really thought that I could have the kind of business not to need to have a job as well. Um, I didn't think that I was um, business-minded or had enough money or the right contacts. I thought I needed a lot of things I didn't think that I had. But then my mum got ill and it just made me think in a different way because I wanted to be able to go and stay with her or just to be with her. Or if she was well, I wanted to be able to spend more time. I wanted to be more flexible. And this was uh, six years ago at the time I was 45. And I think that was, a, that was a driver as well, because I just thought, if I don't do this now, maybe I'll never do it. And um, that gave me a bit of courage to actually do something. 
And like you just said, Dustin, although I didn't think I could do business, I realized that lots of real people, ordinary people do real estate and make money. And some of them do it accidentally, become very wealthy through money, uh, through real estate. So I thought maybe there's a way for me as an ordinary person to do it that way. So I started going to real estate meetings and I was amazed by all the different strategies there are. And although for some of them, you do need a lot of money to start off with, but for some of them, you don't. And that was what how Rent to Rent Success came about, because I think in America, oh, sorry, you're in Canada, I know. But I think even there, you call it um, arbitrage. And that's what it is. It's, so you normally you buy a property um, and maybe you have to have $50,000 in it, let's say. And then you maybe make three or $400 a US. And, um, but you need a lot of money to then build up your portfolio so that you, your income is replaced and then you're really building wealth. But with this, you can rent the properties and spend smaller amount to start off with and still make a really good cash flow. But so you have the owner of the property who's really happy that they're getting the guaranteed rent and you're managing it and managing the risk. And you've got the housemates in the property who are really happy that you're renting them a lovely property, which you've done up. And obviously, we are also really happy. So it's a win-win-win for everyone. And that's how it started with Rent to Rent Success. So is it, paint me a picture of like, a, like the, the, your ideal deal. So are you, are you actually going to buying a condo or something? Or are you actually renting and sub-renting? Yes, the second one. Oh, so we do in. both now, but we started off my sister and I, renting and sub-renting. And how we did it was in the UK, there's something called HMO, House of Multiple Occupation. And it's a bit like Friends on the telly, uh, a house share. So everyone has their own bedroom and they share the kitchen and the, um, the bathrooms. And these houses already exist. So we would just approach landlords who had them and say, we'll do everything for you and we'll pay you a guaranteed rent and sometimes it would be more than they were current, they were getting before because they weren't able to do it very well because mm. they were working or they were they had an estate a letting agent who was doing it but wasn't doing it very well. And so we would come along and say, "We'll do everything for you, and you'll get guaranteed rent every month." And they were happy. And then we would tidy up the property, make it look nicer, and then rent it out again at a higher but still affordable rent, so that it's a really lovely home for the housemates. You know, a lot of time in finance and in real estate, people can do things in a, a way that's not ethical. So we were really uh, strong on making sure it's an ethical uh, business and also that everybody who's in it is delighted to be in it. So what was what was the... What, so if I'm... Because um, in the UK, it's tight. The problem is, is everyone's so condensed, right? Is that... Yes. Yes. So, so would you be fixing up these places or would you be cleaning them up or making them look better? Or what? how come the people couldn't rent them before? Yes. Rent them out? Great question. So, yeah, we would do them up a little bit, but I think it's just extra detail of care and attention. So, for example, if you're renting out a room and you put it on to the online portals with just the bare mattress and, a, you know, the, the chest of drawers and the wardrobe, you can still rent it, but it's not going to go as fast. Even if you just dress the bed 
put some pictures up, make it look nice. So kind of superficial, it really makes a difference. And then once people move in, if you manage things really well, you're very attentive, people stay longer. It's just that when you have the resources to manage the property better, it's better in terms of business, where a lot of landlords and letting agents are doing it on the side. So letting agents might have hundreds of properties and not really take the care which is needed for a house share property. And landlords and property owners might have a business and they might have a family and they might have lots of other things going on. So they're maybe not giving it the care and attention that it needs. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's very creative. So how much are we talking? Like, so you're the risk. So you go to Mr. Landlord, you say, Hey, uh, we'll give you a thousand dollars a month guaranteed. Yes. And then you try and go get someone for 1200 is, is 20% more like average or what would be the average or, or yeah, is there it, a number? It really d- depends. So we can make anywhere. I should have looked these numbers up before, but between 500 and over a thousand pounds in the UK every month, which I think it's more in dollars. So it might be like 750 US um, to um, to double that, 1500 US that, that we make. Um, but it very much depends on how we find the property. So if we find the property and it's already being well managed and well run, then what we make will be less. Yes. And if we find a property and it's not being well managed and well run, like one property we found, um, we we met the owner and it was an eight bedroom property. So eight people, a big house, and he only had three people living there. Mm. And that had been the case for a very long time. But he lived about an hour and a half away. He had a business, he had um, a family, but that, that property was like a thorn in his side because it was costing him over 800 pounds every month to run that property. So when we offered him, I think it was uh, just over a thousand pounds, that's 2000 pounds more almost than what he was getting before. Yeah. And so that enabled us to make more than we would normally, but we, we, we created the extra value. It wasn't there before. Right. And so we're not taking it off him. We're yeah, no, no, no. And so obviously, if you come to someone and say, this is what you're currently doing, and you know, I think I can get you more, um, the risk seems very, very low. Is someone who's owned rental places, you know, my first question would be, how, how do you deal with the people? And yes. what is your strategy for mitigating uh, the headaches? Yeah, so it's, we, we don't need as many properties to have a really good business. So because each property is worth more than it would be as a normal rental with this hash share model, and because we're taking on some risk, we have higher upside. Um, so I used to do it myself initially, managing the tenants, and I realized that I was just using a lot of intuition as well as the papers, uh, intuition. So we had to sort of put that into a framework of what are the red flags? What are the things to look out for, you know, on a viewing? Because for a house share, it's very important that people can be polite, friendly, get on with other people. On that first date, if you will, that they can show up on time, you know, put their best foot forward and, you know, get along. And when people can't do that for different reasons, then we don't move ahead. 
that's one of the things. It's just the simple things. We just suddenly opened our eyes to simple things that sometimes you can miss in ordinary life, but you get to know as a landlord, mm-hmm. you get to know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think of like uh, as a motorsport guy and buying toys and selling toys all the time. You know, when you're buying used uh, things, all you need to do or renting yeah. or buying something from someone is start asking some questions, and you get very interesting answers. Uh, which is, well, maybe that's part of your strategy. Well, the thing is, Dustin, that I've found since I've been in this business is that people tell you who they are. They tell you and they show you who they are. They make it totally clear to you, like on that first meeting, even before the first meeting, when you're exchanging messages and how do they speak? Are they rude? Are they angry? Are they impatient? Mm -hmm. How do they, do they expect the worst or do they expect the best? Yeah. Yeah, one of the the best questions I feel like I get the most meaningful answers from when I'm buying things is, you know, so picture you're buying a, a a new car or a used car. It's a used car or a used something. You say, if you were going to keep this, what would you fix? Or if you were ah. going to keep this, what would you tune up or adjust? And, you know, sometimes people say, no, no, it's in you know mint condition. Then you just you know worry about it. But if it's like, well. You know, it's it just needs this, or I would probably do that. You go, okay, and then it's you know, depending on the severity of what they're talking about, whether it's an engine or just you know, a piece of plastic that needs to be replaced, tells you, you know, again, leads to the story. It's like, well, why is the plastic broken? You know, how, are, how have you driven this thing or ridden it? So, uh, you know, tying it back to the tenants, do you have any stories of you know, where you've you've helped? Someone or the landlord has, has come to you and said, hey, you know, thank you. And, you know, it's really worked because I think there's a lot of value here for, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to this, you know, podcast. Uh, I don't think we've ever talked about this. I don't think, you know, it's always like you got to own something. You got to try and own it. You got to try and, and mm-hmm. property values are quite expensive right now uh, in the region where I live in Canada. So, yeah. um, well, I think all over the world, they're probably expensive. You know, so, so the, for the landowner, like how how have you positively changed their life without you know do you have a story about that yeah so every one of the things that that i noticed is that no landlords have ever asked for their properties back from us to be managed by somebody else or managed by themselves mm-hmm. one one of them sold so we and we've had a lot of different properties come come to us over the years but the reason for that is that once they come to us, we pay the rent every month. So sometimes other people who run some of the businesses to us, when times get hard or if things are difficult, like in the lockdown, they'll renegotiate, which is okay as long as you both parties agree. But mm. we just pay the full rent the whole time. So sometimes mm. that's that's an amazing upside. And sometimes yeah. it's less of an upside. But I think they they know that, that we will do that. So how have we helped them? I think, I think that story I mentioned earlier, it really can have a terrible emotional impact on someone's life, you know, knowing that all that money is being lost and they couldn't sell the property because they were uh, in negative equity. The property was worth less than it was when mm-hmm. he bought it at the time. So he didn't feel he could sell when we first started helping him. And then we 
you know, took it over, managed it, did it up. And, um, and then he was able to, after a while of it being managed well, sell it for the amount that he wanted for it. So it's just what we're doing, really. We're helping people to have the assets and be able to get, get the rent that they want for it um, without having to manage it. So it's more of a passive income for them, and it's more of a hands-on income for us. But one of the things you said there was um, it's all about owning assets. And I agree that I do believe that full wealth building long-term, it is about owning the assets. But this is a great way to get started if you're not yet in a position to be able to uh, buy the assets to start off. Well, we, again, you've, you've solved the problem uh, that you initially had, which was how do I have an income and be you know, not beholden to somebody else? The, the workload, so w- where, is, where is the most, the bulk of your time spent? Yeah, so originally I was running around to all the different properties and uh, when tenants needed or people moving in and out, that was all me. And, um, but now we have a team, um, and what mainly one person in terms of the property management. And he, you know, I've been, had to be able to write down what I knew um, intuitively so that somebody else can do it. So uh, Luke is now doing that. And so my input into that business is half a day a week. I meet with, I have one meeting with my sister who runs the business with me, which is about all the the operational things to do with the business and then, and and some strategic. And then I have a meeting with Luke, which is all about uh, managing the properties, what empty rooms are coming up, are there any issues um, and all of that sort of thing, just to make sure, because part of our business is keeping the rooms full all of the time and we have a syst- mm. we have systems for that so that meeting is really focusing on that so it's really given me a lot of time to be able to focus on other things but it didn't start out that way can you help me understand so a, a lot of the work we do in in the service wealth uh, side is for business partnerships so a lot of partners uh, whether we're addressing shareholder agreements or they're taking on debt or they're buying each other out or bringing in a third party to buy them out. So you mentioned your sister. How how do you guys? So you 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 both manage the company. Is it very defined roles, or is it yeah. um, kind of all hands on deck all the time? Like, how do you manage being partners with a person and then being partners with your sister also? Yeah, <laughs> and we're very different as well. And you were even laughing when you said it because um, with siblings. We used to get along, but we're very, very different. She's very detail-oriented. If I just say something and mention somebody's name, we've got a friend and she's got a very unusual name. And I said to Nikki, let's say it's Zahara. I said, oh, Zahara this, that. And she said, Zahara who? We only know one person with that name. <laughs> but she always wants to get everything defined and ask a million questions, um, which I find very irritating, But or I used to find very irritating. But since we've been in business together, it's amazing to have somebody like that who's going to go through all the contracts and make sure all the um, accounts are reconciled and have conversations with the bookkeeper about very dull things. And um, so we have very defined roles because just as we were setting up the business, I was I had read the book. I was doing so much reading. Um, it was like I was stepping into this other world. And 
I'd read the emails. And so we've still got the notes from this meeting <laughs> six years ago. And it was so funny because we, we got together and we defined what the roles are for the whole business, and what roles I was going to take on and what roles she was going to take on. And so she's very much the making sure that we deliver what, what we sell. And I'm very much the marketing, the vision, the strategy. Um, and uh, so that works really well. Normally we agree on things, but if we disagree, if it's to do with marketing, um, a vision strategy in that direction, then I say, and if it's to do with the details of like finance accounts, the legal stuff, then she says she has the last say. Just to, to make sure everyone knows. So the E-Myth is a book written by Michael Gerber. And, uh, you know, he, the punchline in the book or the punchline that I took out of it was if, if you can't leave your business for 30 days and then come back and it's still cash flow positive, if not growing, then you don't actually have a business. You are a, he has a term. It's like you're a business manager or a business owner, or I might be screwing up or an entrepreneur versus a business owner. I can't remember, but that's, that's the punchline. And he has a, a bit of a system for, putting that in place. So that, that is a great, um, you know, book. And I think partnerships work and partnerships, uh, can be extra stress. So if you guys have figured out what it is, um, and do the, do the staff report to one or both of you? Well, I'm lucky in that I resisted. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't believe I'm a very good manager. I believe I'm good at keeping Luke and having the meetings that we do have where we've got a certain result that we're aiming for and we discuss how we're getting there to that but I don't really want to manage him yeah. in terms of all the other stuff uh, so Nikki does that and Nikki was a corporate person before at a very senior level so I think you know she's used to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um I, I I don't know if that is a skill that can I, I guess it can be learned and if you were put in a position, but there's, you know, certain reasons, certain people are in HR and, and certain reasons people are in, because it does bog you down if you're not into it. And, yes. and the, you know, the, you're dealing with humans on client side and you're dealing with humans on, on the staff side. So there's, there's, and then you're dealing with yourself. So there's three yeah. real, uh, you know, mixtures, that, but if it's kind of like, you know, my mom had a line in the podcast with her where she, you know, you think, oh, grass is, you know, this person doesn't do X, Y, Z. We've got to get rid of them or, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, the grass is always greener on the other side. Well, maybe you should try watering your own grass. <laughs> and yeah. the, the time and energy that's put into uh, staff, it really needs, it's very important. Uh, and I think for a lot of businesses, you know, it used to be, this is how I kind of envisioned growing up was like, you know, clients first. Or customers first, that's the end all be all. But if you got no staff to service them, then they're gonna lose out anyway. So you've got this this clients and staff almost exist at the same level. Uh, if not staff, if they're at manager levels and, and dealing with clients, they are very, very important. Actually, something just came to me as as you were speaking, because we've got staff in the office for the property business, but we've also got um, a training business and also a coaching business. And so I am the, the, the leader on that. And so I manage virtual assistants. Mm. So I had a virtual assistant in the Philippines, which I put off 
um, hiring somebody for a long time. But then I started and I was bad at first. I wasn't very good at it. And I would complain that she's not doing things how I wanted. But then I realized that I can either hire someone else, but I could also get better. Because this person is not a detailed person. I hired somebody who I really liked. Um, and she's more like me, not a detailed person. Whereas really in this role, it would be beneficial to have a detailed person, but she's good enough at the tasks um, With when I learned how to delegate. So one of the amazing things is Loom. So loom.com, where the screen sharing yeah, yeah, is yeah. We use it. So, um, so now when I see something wrong, I used to fix it. Like she used to be doing blog posts for me and things. I would see it's got the wrong categories. It's in the wrong tags. The title's been formatted incorrectly. And sometimes I would just fix it. But now I would just, uh, well, it's all, all of that areas are sorted out now. But I would just loom it and say, oh, I noticed this, this, and this. This is the how. This T- is tell how us, tell, so I know what it is, but tell the viewers what loom is and why it's so great. It's, this is, oh, not, it's this is most, not a paid advertisement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so amazing. Um, and I, I used to use the free service, but I do. we do pay for it now. But Loom is a screen recording software. So, for example, if you wanted to tell somebody, I would like you to upload my videos to YouTube, and I would like you to, this is the process. You can actually do that for the last time. If it's something that you did, I hated doing that because it took so long to upload the videos. And there was also a process of things afterwards that made me think I wouldn't be able to outsource this because I just sort of made it up as I was going along. But then with Loom, I'm now doing it for the last time. So I just switched my Loom on to go through my process, speak about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it that way, and, um, and then give them the link to the video and then they can watch it and they can repeat it whenever they want. And I can refer back to it at any time. And we've got a library of Loom videos. I think that the benefit of Loom, like screen sharing uh, has been around for a long time, but Loom took it to the next level by putting, uh, you know, we're on Zoom right now and you can see my face. And so you can connect with your staff because your face is a little bubble on the side of the the thing. You can make it bigger or smaller if it's a, you know, a small screen or a big, whatever you want to emphasize. That's the key part. And the piece that we've been using it for is training and onboarding staff in uh, admin roles where maybe the turnover is slightly higher. So, you know, we'd have a training manual that's written, but people read it and it doesn't really make sense. So every kind of like the first 12 items in the training manual are just basic. Here's our software. Here's the client management system. You know, those are all loomed. And so the person, you know, their first couple of days of work is spent loom for an hour, try it for an hour, loom for an hour. And then by the time you meet them, you don't have to sit there and, and do it all. So it's been a game changer for uh, speed and efficiency for training, for sure. It really has. And on, on other things, like um, I have a videographer's editing some videos and putting something together for me of some talks that I made recently in London. And I can just go in and watch the videos. And obviously, I gave written feedback as well. But also I go, I watch the video and do the loom as well so that he can see what I'm thinking where. And I just, I just, I just love it because whereas previously you'd have to have a Zoom call and be on at the same time, now I can record my part when I'm up. And if they're on a different time zone, they can watch it when they're up and mm. I I'm not disturbed. 
Well, Steph, we, we've had a good, uh, we've kind of been warming up. Like right now, I feel like we've still been stretching, but I would like to get into the weeds of the UK. So I had a, uh, a you know, fellow UK gentleman on a couple of weeks ago, Sandro Forte, and he's a financial advisor there. Uh, but we were talking about just sort of the what things you maybe have noticed that are different in the UK and maybe go back to your childhood or go back to in your younger years of like where this sort of grit in your world has come from and, and what you notice with successful people who are living, you know, the mentors in your life what are the, that are in the UK, what are the traits that they have that you're trying to build or what are the, what are the things that they're doing uh, that you're excited about? Yeah, well, this is a really interesting question. And uh, I, I've seen it from both sides because some people have always had that drive. They've always been entrepreneurial. They've known that they would set out for business and they've always had that grit and determination and belief in themselves. And my story was a little bit different. I had my son when I was very young and I had a lot of struggle and I didn't have a lot of self-belief, although I did have that ability to be able to take the next step in front of me and have a little bit of courage. Um, but I didn't really lift my gaze very high. And it's only in the last six years since we've been in business that I've seen a massive difference. And the difference is just how to think. And previously, I wasn't thinking consciously and creating my future consciously from my thoughts. First, I was creating my future from my past um, without thinking about it subconsciously. And so what I've seen is a huge difference in the level of success that we've been able to create and the level of financial success, the level of relationship success, and um, the level of like success with myself, uh, you know, the, 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 I don't know what the word is. I have so much more faith in myself now because I've seen myself do things that I never thought I would do. And, um, and that is all come from a different way of thinking. And where I learned that from was, um, I'd heard about it, but I thought it was a lie that you just mm. can think <laughs> mm. and create success from your mind. Did not think that was the truth. But when I look back on what I created in many decades to what I created in the past six years, when I've been thinking differently, it's so different and I'm the same person. So that really shows me the importance of creating your future consciously. And the power in that. Fill me in on where I can't let you leave that. This is like a hanger. You left us just hanging. Where did you get that inspiration? Was it a book? Yes. Was it a podcast? What was it? It was actually a podcast. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of different people who've said it, but I first heard it in a way that spoke to me in a different way on Brooke Castillo's podcast. Who was Brooke it? Castillo, Brooke Castillo. So okay. B R O O K E. And then Castillo is C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O. And her podcast is called The Life Coach School. And I would, it's not the sort of podcast that I would particularly have been interested in, but I listened to a lot of business podcasts. And this podcast has been mentioned a few times. And on the second mention, I was intrigued because it said that she was making over 35 million pounds podcasting. Uh, sorry, not podcasting as a life coach in, in America. And, and there were various other things that were said that intrigued me enough to want to go and look. When I got to the podcast, there were so much gems in there. 
Now, one of them is about creating your future self. I hadn't really thought about my future self. And that kind of was showing in the results I was getting. Most people are just, they're waking up tomorrow and they're thinking about tomorrow. So that's them thinking about their future self, but their future self is based on their past self. And that's why most of us are doing pretty much the same things over a long period of time. And that's why change feels so hard. But to become successful, and we we all know that athletes do it and other people who have to achieve a specific result on a specific day, they're very future focused. They are creating that future ahead of time all the time. And they're believing in something that they've never achieved yet, which is hard to do. So for our brains to actually believe, 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 you know, for example, believing in financial abundance when your perceived reality right now is, is not that. Um, but when you can do it, you create all sorts of energy and actions and feelings from those thoughts that create different results. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, no, I was going to say I'll give you an example, and no examples have come to mind. Uh, that's okay so you're talking about manifesting you're talking about you know things like that originated with like the secret and you know tape a check to your ceiling and you know it's a lot deeper than that but you are basically creating and and sandro it's funny the uk two times in one week uh talked about mind changers and he talked about when you're setting goals actually writing a sentence about yourself like I, I can't remember what my one of mine was, but it's like the sound of the Harley, uh, you know, accelerating out of my driveway feels so good, uh, you know, on my way on a on a ride or something. And you know, so you know, you want to get a Harley or whatever your thing is, uh, and so you're putting yourself there in the, you know, it. So your brain is is constantly being immersed in it. Have you ever read yeah. Napoleon Hill stuff? Think and Grow Rich. Yes, yes, I have. And I thought of something when you were speaking, and it's the tension, isn't it? It's the human experience, is the tension between what you want to do now, what that primal instinct is, which is to stay safe, to stay inside, not to do anything dangerous, not to die. And all of these scary things feel like death. And you have that and what you want to achieve in the future, which, for example, might be to have a successful business, to have a fit body, to look a certain way, to live in a certain place. And the things that you have to do now to achieve what you want to achieve then are usually hard or boring or things that you don't want to do in this moment. So the closer that you are to that other person, the future you, the closer your relationship, the more emotionally involved you are with yourself in the future when you've achieved these things, the easier it is to be pulled towards those actions that deliver what you want in the future. Because really success is having the discipline to do the things that feel hard in that moment or that are easy not to do. And that feels so much more compelling when you're living in that future in your mind. Has Brooke ever talked about, again, in in my main world, I'm dealing with money and, you know, I'm usually dealing with successful people who for a lot of them set goals to make a certain income way back when, and guess what? They hit that income. And now they're scared shitless because uh, that's been their whole existence and their identity is this like, go, go, go thing. And now resetting the goals or resetting the money, the feeling that they get when they get there isn't what it maybe they thought it would be 
or it wouldn't be like, oh, life is just so, you know, just totally changed now. It's you've moved up your lifestyle. And so now you've got this scenario. So any, any yes. for instigating new thought? Well, I love this because what, what one of the, one of Brooke's teachings is, it's not better here than there. And you don't believe it until you get there. <laughs> so uh. it's not better here than there. So for example, for many people, it might be a million pounds or a multi-million pound condo, or a certain new house, or when I get married, or when I have children, or whatever it is, we've all got these when I, and we think that it's going to be amazing, and our life is going to be amazing and incredible when we're in this place, and we forget that we're taking our own brains with us. And what is going to happen is the 50-50 of life. So we have a certain 50-50 before we have the million, and we're going to have a different 50-50 after we get the million. So some of the things that previously were hard are now going to be easy. And, you know, you're going to have new hard things, new challenging things. So what I love about what she teaches is that we're not doing it to be happy. We're doing it to be fulfilled, to have a purpose, to have a vision, to have a mission, that, that this is what we're doing. And we know that we're going to have some good, bad things here, and we're going to have some good and bad things there. But we're going to be a different person there because we're going to have to. We're going to have grown into who we're meant to be to get there. And really, I find that so freeing um, that it's not about happiness because we're going to have some good experiences and some bad experience, whatever we do. No, I think that's uh, that was like that was a that was a big realization. So thank you for uh, sharing because I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate, uh, me included, of where where do you go next? What's the next goal? And it isn't about, you know, you do need to have a goal and you do need to, well, I'll share, I'll share a personal story with you. So, uh, you know, so is, is there advantages to people who are winners? You know, so it's always like got to be the best. And for A-type personalities, you got to go, 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 always win, have whatever, it's just like, go, go, go. And so lately I've been trying to be more present because that's supposed to be important. So I'll be present and not be so futuristic and live in the moment. And sometimes, because my old self was was very driven to, to be at the leaderboard. And uh, I recently watched, so my son is six and he uh, was at a school race. This is last week or this week. I can't really this weekend. There's, you know, say a hundred kids and they all start out and start line. They all run and they're coming down around the corner. and all of a sudden you can see he's on the outside and he just runs right. And he's in, he's in the lead out of all these kids. And and this particular son is, um, you know, a little bit more shy or not shy, but just sort of like reserved, but he's very focused. And so when I see saw him do that, it was very inspiring. Uh, And so I took that to the gym where I work out and we had a, a CrossFit, you know, workout with a run, you know, later in the week. And I just thought, there's no way this this lady in front of me is going to beat me. And she always beats me. And so it was this, you know, invigorating um, feeling, you know, such a simple little story. And, uh, but when I came home and, you know, we, I talked with him about it. I do think there is something about goals and having a, a striving nature to win. And, yeah. and win is such a big word. And with, you know, there's, when you include it with money, it's, it's difficult. So uh, this huge structure, but there is advantages. And I said to him, you know, advantages and luck are attracted to those who, who win. And so 
I don't know if it, you know, I'm spurring on some some comments on on your end because you know maybe Brene Brown would would beat me up and say that's it's not a good oh. men, mental set. I but. agree with you because it's about experiencing the full richness of life, and to do that you have to prepare to fail. That's what makes the win so amazing because every single thing that we do we're doing to experience a feeling how we imagine we're going to feel when we're in the mansion how we imagine we're going to feel when we've got a million pounds how we're going to imagine we're feeling when we're married so the one eye-opening thing for me was when I imagine how I'm going to feel at the goal mm-hmm. I can look at those feelings so if it was happiness excitement satisfaction pride in myself and bring all those things right now and experience all those things right now and allow all those feelings that I'm going to have when I get there to be with me right now on the journey to getting there. So that's one thing. The second thing that you talked about is having that, being all in with life. So whatever that means, if you've got that dynamic driving and you want to be your best and you want to run your best race and you want to put yourself all in there, that's amazing. And it's great when you win, but also when you lose, you can also think, I'm so glad that I was all in. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of me. I, I know that I can do this, this, and this better. But you can just let yourself feel all of life, the good, the bad, and know that you gave it your all in the way that you want to. And not everybody is going to want to like, compete in that way. But I think a lot of people don't want to compete because they're scared of losing. But mm-hmm. when you're willing to feel any feeling, you can live your life at 110%. You know, you can live it at the fullness, the richest. Stephanie, thank you very much. That's a, a great ending note. Uh, I appreciate what you've given us uh, today. And I definitely will have your book. And your you have a podcast as well. Um, yeah, I, I have a podcast. but. It's called Rent to Rent Success, but it's about this rental strategy in the UK. But for your audience, um, what they might be more interested in is that I also have a business called Blow Up Your Life, which is helping people use some of the mindset tools that have really helped me blow up my life uh, to to live a more 100% life, to find out what they really love and to be able to use their own minds to help them to move forward. Well, I, you couldn't have finished it off. Our mantra is to help people live more of their life now, yet be uh, financially you know, better off in the future. So thank you very much, Steph. And uh, I look forward to our next podcast. Thank you. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.